If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and I am back from Belize. It was such a wonderful trip. And uh, yeah, it's really weird coming back to warmth, warmth in Ontario in February. Really weird. I've been watching, I've been watching the news, which has been showing Toronto, the city of Toronto, with patios open and people sitting out on the sidewalk, which, of course, they will do as soon as the temperature gets above freezing. We're a hardy people. It, it doesn't take much for us to shuck off the parkas and the boots and get uh, T-shirts and uh, shorts and flip-flops on. Not not to say that was happening this last week, but not far off for, for some people. So so we are, we're currently experiencing a, a bit of... Um, a bit of warmth in February, which is absolutely amazing. And I'll be off to uh, Berlin and Amsterdam next week. Uh, hopefully get a bit of spring weather in Europe. And for anybody out there who's, who's listening, who's going to the Vacation Rental Management Association conference in Amsterdam, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you all and, and grabbing a coffee or sitting down for lunch or for a chat. It's going to be, it's going to be great to... Um, meet up with so many old friends and you know it's just one of those things that when you go to these conferences and you get to meet people that that you know you haven't seen for a while or indeed that you've only met online it's it's an amazing experience and I absolutely love it so for any of you any those of you any of you out there who are sitting on the fence about going to the vacation rental success summit in Toronto in May please you know, give it some real thought. It's it's going to be a fantastic event. It really is. It's it's shaping up to be uh, as good as or and better than it was last year. We've got such an amazing lineup of speakers. I'm so excited about um, meeting some of these people, some for the first time, some again, as I said, you know, catching up with them from conference to conference. And I, I think you'll find massive value in it. One of the attendees is my uh, my uh, guest today on the podcast. Um, I had a I had an email from Michael Hamilton about um, well, a couple of months ago, and he had bought my uh, my ebook on hypnotic, uh, you know, using hypnotic techniques for for emails and listings. And he sent me uh, he sent me the links to his listings so I could check out the text that he'd used. And I have to say, I was really, really impressed in, in how he'd taken uh, taken those principles, those hypnotic principles, along with his own uh, knowledge of sales techniques and applied them to his listings. So it, it struck me that uh, Michael was somebody I really wanted to talk to because he is in his early 30s he's bought a couple of properties in 
the Outer Banks, and he has another property in San Diego where he actually lives. And I wanted to, I wanted to connect with him and to to really find out about um, his his thoughts on investment for vacation rentals because that's what he's doing. He's a vacation rental investor, and we're seeing more and more people doing this now. It they're, they're taking more of the emotion out of buying a property and including a lot more business acumen and uh, financial tactics in the location in which they buy and the you know the, the more local aspects of the location and as you'll hear in this interview uh, Michael and his partner Maria have given huge amounts of thought to the properties they've bought how they've renovated them and their business going forward so without uh, further ado, let's move on over to the interview with Mike Hamilton. So I'm delighted to have with me today Michael Hamilton, or Mike Hamilton. He says I can uh, use either uh, naming convention here. And Mike hails from, uh, I think we're talking from his home in San Diego. Am I right, Mike? That's correct, Heather. Well, it's a delight to have you uh, have have you with me. Um, let's kick off. You tell me uh, a little bit about uh, about yourself, how you got into the vacation rental business. Absolutely, Heather. And, and first, I just wanted to say thank you for having me today, and thank you for helping me. You know, with your content and insights that are available at Cottage Blogger and Vacation Rental Success, um, it's it's made a huge impact for me. Um, I know that I'm not perfect as I'm learning, and I'm grateful for folks like you that are willing to help and accelerate the success for, for folks like me. So how did I get involved? Um, I got involved in real estate investing about five years ago. Initially, a good friend of mine named John from Boston. He invited me to a real estate investing training. And this training was put on by a company called Fortune Builders. And I owe them a lot of, uh, I owe them a lot because they really helped me understand uh, the opportunity in real estate investing and how it could impact my life and get me to my personal goals. And what's also interesting, too, is my girlfriend, uh, Maria, who helps me host, and I, we love to travel. And when we travel, we prefer the experience of vacation rentals. Um, so we decided after a few years of traditional real estate investing to leverage our education, apply it to the vacation rental space, and explore this exciting niche. So to really sum it up, I guess you could say that I got into the vacation rental business because of a marriage of, uh, of a love of traveling preferring vacation rentals as an accommodation and having an interest in real estate investing. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah, because I often hear from real estate investors and you know if, if I'm following um, sites like Bigger Pockets, the vacation rental business doesn't loom as large on their horizon as as investment opportunities as the normal, you know what what we would generally consider to be um the, the run-of-the-mill residential type rentals. So it's really interesting to hear that you're marrying um, the real estate investing side and vacation rentals because that uh, I think we're going to be seeing more and more people going into this. And, uh, and you know, I'm hoping to see this go more mainstream. And so I have a comment to add to that. And, and I've seen the same things on, on the bigger pockets. And, you know, you do a Google search for, you know, are vacation rentals good investments? And, you get a lot of mixed reviews, and, and most of the reviews are going to point to the fact that there's these massively high operational expenses, which, yes, we have to be aware as business owners that there are operational expenses. 
Um, but but what are we doing to you know to make sure that our business is profitable? Um, at the end of the day, when I look at this, it's a business like any other business. You know, are my revenues going to exceed my expenses? And if we can achieve that goal, then we can have a profitable business. So so you live in San Diego. You, Correct. you have your prop and, and your properties. The first two properties you bought are in the outer banks. What made you what what was um, behind that choice of properties? Yeah. So what I, I mentioned that I love to travel. But what I haven't mentioned yet is that I love to surf. Um, it's one of my passions. And, and the beauty of surfing and traveling is that myself, Maria, we get to frequent coastal locations and, and they're special and they're magical places. Um, when I was finishing university, I, I lived in the East Coast of the United States, and a good buddy of mine uh, was down in Southern Virginia. And after he finished university, he went and he moved to the Outer Banks. And in that area of, of the U.S., um, the Mid-Atlantic, uh, it's, it, that is a very, very popular uh, coastal vacation destination. And that also happens to be one of the best places on the East Coast that actually has waves. So um, I visited him several times, and at that time in my life, I was not involved in real estate investing. But what I had noticed as I went there, I noticed growth, and I noticed commercial growth. I noticed Home Depots coming in. I noticed multiple supermarkets. And I said to myself, as I had later went back there and and, uh, made the decision to um, buy the first short-term rental property, um, I said, look, you know, these bigger companies, these big corporate organizations are are investing millions of dollars to be here, and they're seeing growth. Um, there, there's a very good likelihood that we're going to benefit from that from that growth. And you know, I, what I also saw saw too, and um, Heather, we've talked about this outside of this podcast so far, is is the, you know Airbnb and HomeAway, and you know what's what's happening you know in the space is is we're seeing that there's more social acceptance um, around people wanting to stay in a vacation home versus a hotel. We're seeing there's more social acceptance of somebody wanting to host people. Um, so I also felt that there was, there was not only you know, growth in the area, but there was growth um, in, in, in the space, um, in vacation rentals, Airbnbs, things like that. So in terms of like a, a buying criteria, we, we definitely have a buying criteria, but what we did know um, is that we wanted to be by coastal locations. You know, it's where we wanted it to be. It's where we wanted to invest in because we could create the experience that we love so much and we could share with guests. Now, one of the, the benefits of coastal real estate is that it's highly desired and it's finite. So that makes it really, really attractive for a real estate investor. You know, the fact that it's highly desired and it's finite. Uh, but really, um, as I was kind of signaling before in the previous question, it comes down to the math. You know, we're, 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 we're looking at the return on investment and, and what my mentors have have taught me all of my real estate investment education has proven to me is that we really have to understand if we can make money through the combination of rental revenue and or creating equity in the property. And what I mean by creating equity is, you know, can we buy a discounted or distressed property? Can we add value through the renovations, which forces the appreciation of the asset? Um, Are there some older assets that are outdated and we can demolish them and, and rebuild a new structure? Or is there an expansion opportunity? So really, the, you know, the last thing that we'll do is we'll analyze each individual opportunity for its investment performance over three to seven year timelines. If we like the look of the rate of return, we'll attempt to acquire it. Now, you know, I know, Heather, you've probably been on some properties and not gotten them. Not every attempt is successful, right? That, that's real estate investing, though. Um, so we want to 
really evaluate the opportunities for their investment performance. Um, do they make financial sense? If they do and they fit our model, uh, great, we'll go ahead, we'll make offers, we'll see if we can acquire them. That's, uh, that's great investment planning. And, you know, hear, hearing you talk, it sort of, it sounds as though most of the emotion is taken out of your decision. Although, having said that, you know, you're, you've, you've got the, the surfing aspect of it and the traveling aspect of it, which must bring a little bit of that emotion back into it. So just, just describe for me um, the, the, the properties that you have bought and what it, you know, what it was that finalized that decision. Was it just um, the financial, you know, the, the investment aspect of it? Or, or were there some emotional factors that came into play? Because for most people, buying a vacation home, an investment, even an investment home, does have that emotional attachment as well. You're so right on, Heather, when you mention that. And um, it's kind of interesting because my parents, uh, they uh, just did the snowbird thing. I originally grew up in New York and they moved down to, uh, or they're doing their, their snowbird thing in, in Naples, Florida. And they're in the process of buying a place too. And, and they're exactly what you describe right there, an emotional home buyer. Um, they're not doing an analysis of the property, um, really. And that's okay. You know, if it, if it meets their goals, if it meets their objectives and financially it's, it's a fit for them. Great. Um, I'm at a point in my life where, um, I, I might be a little bit of an anomaly and, and I might be completely wrong for saying that, but in terms of vacation rentals, if you typically look at, you know, the folks that buy them, um, you know, they're, they're looking for a second home. They're looking for, you know, a property for their family. Um, I don't have a family yet. Um, uh, I'm still in my younger, uh, in my lower 30s at this point. I do intend to have a family. So I, I feel like, yeah, is there, is there, am I completely avoiding all the emotion? Probably not. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's, there's a buying criteria there, but I would say that I'm, I'm operating off of very sound conservative investing principles. And so one of the things that I do to reduce my risk of that too is I'm not the only one that looks at my financial analysis because if I was, I wouldn't be doing myself um, a full service. I, I have friends of mine that are investors that'll look at the analysis too. And in that way, I can start to detach myself from the emotion of it and saying, okay, well, am I trying to fit these numbers because I want to make it look right? Um, no. So I, I think it's the combination of you know, having uh, some systems in place to make sure you're reducing the emotional, um, you know, desires, uh, you know, that, that, you know, can inflate somebody's uh, want or, or their, the price that they're willing to pay for a property. Um, and, and also just because I've really approached this as I've gotten into it, um, not as, hey, look, I, I'm buying this vacation rental property for my family, which in the future and, and even now they, they do benefit from that, um, which is an awesome rad thing, which it's really hard to quantify what that value is. Uh, but there's a value there too. Uh, so um, I don't know if that answers your question 100%. I, I would say there's a mix of emotions, but at the end of the day, um, it, it really is going to come down to, um, can I make money on this? Because at the, if, I, if I don't put myself, my company in that position, you know, we're not going to be able to afford to provide you know, the limited edition brand of vacation rentals, the type of experience that we're, that we're bringing to people. Um, if, if we can't generate a profit, uh, we're not going to be in business for very long. So we have to operate with that principle in mind. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it, it, it is a great principle because I, I, I do see a lot of people who, who go into this business and, and 
you know, they, they talk about applying an 80-20 rule, you know, 80% business and 20% emotion, uh, and then end up on the other side of it, doing it the sure. wrong way around. So, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting to hear, hear your perspective on it. So tell us about the Chill Beach and Surf Bungalow and the Magical Bungalow. Okay, so the Chill Beach and Surf Bungalow uh, was the first property that we wound up um, testing and doing really, really well with in the Outer Banks. Now, a, a couple of the features of this property that, that made it desirable, too, and, and we knew that we could reduce our risk if we couldn't get the results that we wanted from short-term rentals is we looked at it and said to ourselves, well, if we can't um, uh, do this profitably as a, as a short-term rental, will it qualify for a traditional rental? So we were able to acquire that property at a price point that made sense um, in that neighborhood where we could cover our expenses if we needed to with a traditional rental. Now, that property, when we bought it, um, most buyers steered away from it. They steered away from it because it was ugly. Um, It was in a state of disrepair. Um, It smelled like cat pee. It had smoke in it. Uh, But I, I come from a, a, a real estate investing background. I've, I've participated in, in lots and lots of projects where we've had to deal with renovations. So we, we assessed the property and said, okay, well, how much are we going to have to put into this thing to get it to a state where, um, number one, we would want to stay in it and, 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 and have it rental ready. Now, that property in the Outer Banks is in what's called the First Flight Village. And if you know familiar, familiarity with the Outer Banks, it was where um, the Wright brothers started uh, their 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 flying expeditions because they had these big sand dunes, and when they took off with their gliders, when they crashed, they could land softly and and not hurt themselves. So this area is called the First Flight Village. It butts right up against uh, the Wright brothers' uh, memorial, and it's a mix of vacation rentals and locals in this neighborhood. And so we didn't know exactly how it would wind up. Um, working out, but we were we were astonished um, when I when I first forecasted our rental revenues. I only looked at our peak season, and I know you're up in in, in Canada, Heather. I looked at Memorial Day from us to Labor Day, and I said, "Great, can can I make this work from if we just rented Memorial Day to Labor Day?" And we were surprised that after Labor Day, we were booked all the way. You know, not every weekend, not as not as much as the peak season, but we we had uh, bookings all the way through November. And then uh, as, as we started to see the, um, you know, the, the seasons turn again, go through winter into spring, um, we were getting bookings there as well. And so that, so that, that added more um, confidence um, to, to proceed forward with the second one. Now, with the second one, again, the, 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 the thought was in mind, you know, how can we find a property that's discounted, distressed, undesirable? Maybe it has some quirks. Um, are there, you know, if there's less buyers that are willing to make an offer on this. Well, what that means is there's less demand in the marketplace and, and the price should adjust for it. And the second one, uh, the Heyman, Heyman Boulevard, which is the, uh, the magical bungalow, uh, that one, we, we saw potential. Uh, and, and again, just kind of looking at um, our real estate investing skills and, and, what, and what it taught us, uh, we were looking at a property that was four lots back from the ocean. Um, we knew that long term we wanted to do an expansion on this property. We wanted to increase the square footage by two. Now I'm currently finishing up a renovation in that property where we just addressed the existing. But in the future, what we intend to do is raise that property up um, to the maximum allowable height by the city codes. 
Uh, we're going to put it on a new foundation, new pilings, and we're going to build a level underneath it. Now, when we do that and raise it, it's going to, it already has an ocean view. Um, it's less than 100 meters to the beach. It's a walk to the beach. And so now we know that we're going to take greater advantage of, um, you know, the, the real property where it is, you know, the, the view, um, increasing the property value from a renovation standpoint. And, and I'm really excited to um, actually get there this week and, and get some of those photos up because our listing card for that property right now is reflecting the old, uh, the old images as we inherited, as we bought it in June of last year. Um, so the, the potential on this one uh, is definitely greater. We had a, a massive potential to increase the property value from where it was to where it will be. And also by going through with that renovation, we've added a lot of value to the guest experience. Uh, we have stunning showers in there now. Uh, we've done space optimization. We've vaulted a vaulted a ceiling. We've um, it, you know put in a central AC system. I mean, it, it, all of our properties will have a, a certain standard that we get them to. Initially, when we acquire them, sometimes there are some quirks that that we have to address and we have to deal with. These these both sound sound great properties. Uh, but as I you know, I look at them and I'm, I I will put the links to all your properties on the show notes so listeners can go have a look and uh, and check these out um so they can see what we're talking about um mm -hmm. you know from from first look if i saw those on uh, a real estate prospectus i might think ah oh, yeah they're just you know not quite what i would expect that that guests would be looking for you know they're looking for right on the beach and um, perhaps less in a residential area and more in a in a um, in a, a beachfront vacation area, but in fact they are. Well, as 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 you're as you're talking, and, and actually, if if I encourage everybody who's going to have a look at those listings to look through the reviews because that's telling you why these people are choosing those those properties. And I was I was you know, pleasingly surprised. At, uh, at all those reviews and why people are staying there. They're staying there for a number of different purposes from, um, from reading through the reviews. You know, either they're guests at a wedding or they're, they're going to the Wright Brothers Memorial or other, other different um, purposes for going. So you're attracting a, a, a wide, almost a wider demographic in your choice of property, perhaps. Yeah, that that that's certainly something that we've observed too. We have there's a lot of events in the Outer Banks. Uh, there's a seafood fence festival. There's marathons. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a surfing season, as I've mentioned. That's that's what really attracts me to there. Um, the seafood, just in general, um, and and you know, excuse my bias here, but I've traveled a, a lot over the world, and there's not a place in the world that I think matches the the breadth and the depth of of the different seafoods that the Outer Banks has. Um, and it's, it's also the accessibility when you really think about the summertime clientele, which is going to be more of a homogenous, uh, similar type clientele, uh, it, it's people that are driving to the outer banks. There's some statistic, I don't know exactly what it is, but the outer banks is within a 24 hour drive of about some ridiculously high percentage of the United States population. Um, it's over, over 50%. So yeah, we, we, get a, we get a lot of mix of different people. Um, and, you know, I, I think that kind of goes back to maybe a little bit about what I was signaling be, uh, before. Um, and maybe I didn't signal this. That, what I've noticed, too, is there's a little bit of, of a difference. And we do market on, we do market through the HomeAway network. 
Um, and But we primarily get, I would say, 60 to 70% of our business and revenue through Airbnb. Um, th- there's, there's a little bit of a difference in, in the, uh, the, 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 the person themselves, uh, you know, what they're looking for, uh, what they're willing to tolerate. Um, Airbnb, I feel like, is, is, is uh, there are people there that are a little bit more price conscious, right? So to your point, Heather, yeah, if I want to go vacation on the beach, but there's only so many beachfront houses, well, those are going to be set at a market price that might exclude some people. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could be four lots back from the beach and take me 50 steps to get there, well, maybe that's something I'm willing to sacrifice. Now, sure, we have to be better in certain areas to, to try to get um, uh, try, try to get more, more folks to our place, absolutely. And, and so we have to be aware of you know, where can we compete if we don't have that beachfront location, you know, what are the strengths that we can leverage to, um, to be there? And yeah, again, too, I, I really think it comes down to, well, can somebody afford that beachfront place, too? In the Outer Banks, there's some places that go for $25,000 a week, $30,000 a week. Um, you know, that, that's not our product at this point. Mm-hmm. Although, we, although we do hope to have some of those in the future. <laughs> well, that's a great target to have. Um, you have another property. Just briefly mention that one. Yeah, so we just tested our first unit in San Diego here, um, and, and it's, a, it's an apartment that, that I have. Um, and you know, the way that we set it up is we wanted to test it. We wanted to test this marketplace. Um, we love being in San Diego. We love being in the Outer Banks. We love uh, really being able to uh, create that experience that that's at the, that's at the coastal environment. So it's a it's a two bedroom apartment, um, and it's re- it's really my office here in San Diego. I'm actually in this office right now, um, and and I'm I'm bouncing all around because I'm a consultant as well, and so I spend a lot of time you know on the road and either on the East Coast or out here. So we decided to test this place, and when what we did is it's two bedroom. We we um, put all of our personal items in um, our bedroom. And, you know, we set it up. Um, it, it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a short, we have a, sh- a small ocean view here, too. It's a, a peekaboo ocean view, but it's a very short walk to the beach. And uh, with testing it so far, we've had, you know, highly positive responses. Um, we're offering some things here that, that there's not a lot of in this area. Parking is very, very difficult in this Mission, Mission Beach area of San Diego. So we offer a parking spot with that. And it's, it's the first part of, of looking at, okay, can we get the numbers to work uh, through this test? Are the numbers signaling to us in terms of what we can gain in revenue? If we're to acquire more units here, right, understanding what our financing will be, understanding what our operational expenses will be, um, does it make sense for us to do it? So this particular opportunity right now, is, it's in a test phase. It's interesting because I had a, uh, an email from – um, Jason Kogel last week um, asking about the really about well, is, is there common sense in buying properties in different areas you know he currently has one rental in Kissimmee in Florida um, another in northern Vermont and he's looking and he's looking at going forward and wondering about whether he should be um, purchasing properties in the same area or, or choosing different areas around the country and, and sort of asking what, um, 
what I thought was the the sense, in, I guess, in doing that. And if, um, you know, if he should be concentrating in one spot or spreading his options around the country, what do you think about that? Yeah, so it, it's a very interesting um, question. And uh, you know, I'm going to say this again. It, it kind of relates to some of the things that we've been talking about so far. It's, you know, what what is the real driving force be, behind wanting to pursue that? Is that, is that an emotional thing because uh, we want to be there? Um, and if that's the case, well, you know, then, then, then we have to, um, understand that that's going to be part of, part of the deal. And, um, if I, if I looking from the perspective of reducing my risk, right. Um, I'm not going to want to have all of my assets in one basket. Any, any very intelligent investor will, will, will tell you that, um, you know, some of the exposure that we have in the outer banks is, is to natural disaster. And that's really anywhere. California has natural disaster as well. And, um, so we know that long term, yeah, we're at the small scale of things right now, but do we want to have 25 rentals in the Outer Banks and, and, and some nowhere else? No, I don't think that's the way that we're going to go. We're going to want to diversify um, some, of our, some of our market risk um, um, to that goal right there. Now, the, the thing that you do take advantage of when you do have more units in a specific location is you start to take advantage of economies of scale. Right. If I'm if I you know have a everybody has a team of, of people that they use or, or they use themselves and they're not there, they, they have to have a team of, of folks. So you leverage the same team, um, leverage the same products, the same vendors, resources like that. Um, that starts to you know create a lot of efficiencies in your business as you're doing more in the same location. Now that doesn't mean that you can't apply maybe some of the same systems, the tools and the resources to your other locations. Uh, but in terms of the personnel that we're going to have to deal with, in terms of some of the, uh, the specific granularities of the location, I just think those are things that you're going to have to be aware of. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. And I think that's a, a goal and, a, a, and an objective of Jason's. He should absolutely pursue it. Uh, but just as, as long as it meets his goals uh, in terms of what he's doing, great. And just understand that there's there are going to be some uh, some some newer challenges introduced, or, or maybe a little bit more time investment because we're not in the same location. What about tax compliance and and licensing in different states? How how complicated could that become? Well, it's it's a really good question too. I mean, just like in Canada, province to province, there's there's different GST, HSTs, and um, you know there's different occupancy taxes that we have to be aware of. Um, you know, for locations that we're doing businesses business in, um, if an area requires a business license, I would just say it's prudent that you know as that is investors or or um, you know however we're approaching this uh, that we're aware of that. Um, and that, that, that responsibility is, you know, on us at the end of the day for not complying. Um, you know, believe me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a, a stop work order put on, put on a building because I didn't get a permit. Right. Well, I learned very, very quickly that, um, you know, I needed to get a permit, um, moving forward. And that was going to be a, a part of the process. Um, I don't know specifically about, uh, where Jason's properties are, the, the, the different, um, licensing and, and, and taxation scenarios there. Uh, but, you know, there, there can be some pretty beneficial things. It depends on how you're structured too. Um, you know, do you have these properties, um, you know, deeded to trust and then, you know, the beneficiary of the trust is an LLC or 
you know, to people keeping them in their own name. I'm very familiar with asset protection. I don't keep things in my own name. Um, so in that way, um, you know, my business entities are the ones that are uh, you know, taking care of the licensing, the taxes and things like that. And, you know, later on down the road, after, after all the numbers are settled out, then it'll hit me personally. Okay, that's a, that's good perspective. Thank you. I just want to move on actually to marketing because I, you know, I, I found your property. Well, you sent me the links to your properties on Airbnb. You said you are, you do have them on HomeAway. Anywhere else? Are you are you marketing out onto other platforms? We tried FlipKey. We tried FlipKey, and and we didn't like the results that we had gotten with FlipKey. And um, you know, I, I think when you really look at uh, it, we're we're very intentional with our time as we've approached this. And so what we found is, you know, you talked about an 80-20 rule before. Well, we were getting 80% of our business from Airbnb and HomeAway easily. Um, so we made a strategic decision. Uh, the properties in the Outer Banks, they are on both Airbnb and HomeAway. Um, now, I'll, I'll just reiterate a point I made before. About 60 to 70% of the, of, the, of the revenues comes from Airbnb. And clearly, once they block a calendar... Uh, from a reservation, HomeAway, you know, no other networks have a chance of actually uh, proceeding forward. But we did try FlipKey, and uh, we just didn't like the um, – we got a lot of inquiries. But they were inquiries that didn't convert. They were inquiries that we felt we spent a lot of time on, and we didn't get the outcome that we desired. So we made a strategic decision to say, okay, we're only going to focus on on these two right now. Well, now, as you can imagine, we're at a point where – we're also um, increasing uh, the number of, of booking requests, inquiries, everything else, and we're looking at, you know, integrating a software. And you know, that that's another topic. But to answer your question specifically, Airbnb and home and the HomeAway network, um, you know, VRBO, all all the things that HomeAway represents, is is where we're marketing all of our Outer Banks properties. They qualify for both the Airbnb model and they are whole houses, so they are traditional investment properties as well. So they qualify for HomeAway as well. And that's where we've stayed. So, so for many uh, independent owners, they are looking to not put all their eggs in the listing site basket, I guess, yeah. and and become you know the, the, this listing site independence LSI we hear a lot about. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you have do you have your own website? Is this something that you 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 might consider in the future to begin to um, move away from? from the dominance that those listing sites will have? It's, Heather, it's funny you ask that question. Um, and I've been involved in lots of different business ventures and, and in a business venture that I was in, uh, involved in in the past that we recently decided to move on from. Um, we were trying to produce content in and around the surf travel space, and, and the name of that brand was Liveswell. And um, it started because we liked to travel, we liked to surf, and then we started buying vacation rentals. And... Um, you know, I, I've never met an entrepreneur that hasn't, hasn't failed at, uh, at least one business venture and, and, and I'm in that boat. And, um, so I made a decision at the, uh, the beginning of uh, the end of last year, the beginning of this year to focus all of our time, energy and effort on our vacation rental business. Um, but I, I love that, uh, that name. And, and so we're, we're in the process of rebranding and actually that website, if this conversation was, um, a week from now, uh, would be in place. So. We're currently revamping our website um, to showcase our limited edition brand of, of Liveswell Beach bungalows. Um, 
But why we have, you know, I, and I agree 100% with the listing site independence, um, 100%. But going back to time, you know, leveraging the marketing power of Airbnb and HomeAway, it's allowed us to focus on documenting our procedures and reproducing our results without having to spend too much time on in-house marketing. So we're definitely not listing site independent just yet, but I, I agree that moving forward, uh, there is going to be a, a much greater um, objective to achieve those goals. And so we have a lot of experience in social media. We have a lot of experience in blogging um, from this past business venture. And, and so we have a social media presence. And, and you know, we realize now as we've systemized our vacation rental business, it's certainly time to put more focus into that objective than in the past. Um, and, and what we really think is, is that there's a really big opportunity to market your content, market your story. And, and both of those things are going to help you drive more bookings by leveraging your independent website, by leveraging your social media profiles, all those sorts of things. Yeah, you're, you're, def, you're certainly right, because with the growth of, growth of this industry, and we, we hear just these, these figures being bandied about, and it, it wasn't so long ago they were talking about the vacation rental industry being in the, um, in the around $19 billion by 2019. Now we're looking at 39. The, the latest one I saw was $39 billion the industry will be worth as we get into the next decade. Um, so, so what that brings with it, of course, is, is massive, massive competition. You know, I remember back in, you know, I, I started in this business 20 years ago. And, you know, people still, people didn't know what vacation rentals were then. There were a few, and it probably in the Outer Banks, that's been going for a long, long time. You know, you, 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 you mentioned you'd, you'd listened to the episode I did with Ross Twiddy. Um, yep. You know, Twiddies have been around, been around forever, ever you know, for, from, the, from the dawn of the vacation rental industry. But things are changing so rapidly that this competition is going to just be huge. And differentiating is, is, is going to be so much more important, don't you agree? That, um, that, that just having a listing won't be enough anymore in a, in a, in a year's time, in a few years' time. I agree. It's, it's a, you, you, you're essentially at a competitive disadvantage by not having you know, an independent website that adds more credibility, um, you know, social media, um, it, it, all, all of those sorts of things are absolutely a competitive advantage moving forward. It allows you to differentiate and it, it allows you to really, um, you know, s sell the idea, market the idea of, of, of your limited edition, you know, your unique um, property and, and what it is that, that you can offer, you know, and really, you know, elicit that emotion and that excitement in people and that desire for them to want to um, be there, to stay there. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, a bit earlier about telling a story. And to, to me, telling a story on a website is, is not just about the property, it's about the owner themselves. And I, I for one, when I'm, when I'm searching for properties, I'm out there looking for the About Us page. I want to know about the owner. Now, I noticed that your host page... Um, 
just just when I looked at it the other day, the, your host page on one of your listings had been viewed 164 times in the past week. And I know that that can be just click in and click click out type of viewing. However, it uh, you know I, I was reading your your host page. It tells your story, and how important do you do you see that as part of, as an integral part of a listing? Because I know that many people on VRBO don't use that option to uh, celebrate themselves, I guess, as as hosts, as those who are on Airbnb do. So what impact do you think that well-written host description actually makes? Well, first I want to say 164 times, Heather. I, I don't know where you saw that data, but that's, that's pretty cool um, that it was viewed 164 times. And, um, you know, it just, just makes me, you know, a little bit more aware that, you know, again, I, I need to continually do uh, and improve and do a better job. But what I really feel like, to answer your question here, is that a well-written host description, it's simply another influence tool, in, in my opinion. You know, people buy and, they, and they're going to book from people that they like and trust. You know, the host description gives you the opportunity to build rapport, build commonality, and build trust with that guest virtually. And that written description does tell a story of who you are and, and gives that um, guest a sense of what you're about. And I think the little things in there are really important. Right? You're going to build commonality if you have a common interest with somebody. If you have similar likes, you have similar interests. And most recently, too, because um, I was educating myself on um, somebody's best practices uh, around, the, around the, the profile, and they were talking about the image you know, and how you want to have a clear professional image. And the image that you see today is not the image that I first started with. I, I've typically been a little bit more of a shy person. I don't like you know, having, having my face right up there all the time. It's something that I've gotten better with as I've, as I've grown. Uh, but I had more of a distant picture, and I said to myself, "Well, is that impacting you know somebody's decision to you know to book this place?" And and it could have been because we as humans, there's a lot of subconscious uh, of things that are going on in our on, in our minds that are that are making decisions on our behalf. And uh, so you know, even that profile picture is 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 important in that. So the the little details, the the little details. Um, are very important to again uh, differentiate. Just get that extra competitive edge, and and to um, you know get those folks to to like you, like what you're about, like what you represent, and um, you know hopefully like your place. And then then that that creates, in my opinion, you know a, a great overall experience because if you're marrying both the you know the experience of okay, well I really like this place, I like what it offers, I like the amenities, I like the location, I, li- I like the area. But I also like the host's style and what they're about. And we talk about reviews. Well, if you're getting people into the place that like you, not just like your place, you're setting yourself up for a a better chance, a better probability that you're going to get better reviews um, and have a better overall experience. And that's just going to reduce headaches, too, as, as time moves forward, too, because we get the right people in there. We get the right people in there that are like us. Um, then, then we're gonna, we're just gonna. Yeah, I think we're gonna have raving fans. Well, it certainly seems, you know, that's a great segue because it certainly seems that you do have a lot of raving fans, and and I've been through the reviews on uh, your properties, and I just wanted to co- cover off a couple of things that uh, that came came to me from those reviews. One is, um, and particularly for the magical bungalow, you're very transparent 
in the description of it. Uh, you do say it's not perfect. And, and that has come back to you in some of the reviews. And people have said, yeah, I, you know, I knew it was not perfect before I got there. So I was quite happy with what I found. So the reality did match the expectation. And I, I love that because so often you see in, in reviews that the reality is not, is not reflecting the, the hype that was given to a property. And that's very sad because people build up their expectations of the vacation based on what they're seeing in some text and some photographs. So I love that transparency. How important do you feel it is to create this accurate picture in your guest mind about the property, to create the, the good expectation? Yeah, my feeling is that it's, it's the most important thing that a host, aka a business owner, can do. You know, what's really important to recognize is that each individual guest or client so I think it's important to recognize uh, that each individual guest and client defines, you know, in their own head what great or poor service is. Uh, their definition is going to depend on two things, what they expect and what they actually receive during the fulfillment, what they, what they receive from, from going and staying at your place. And what's important to realize, though, is, is that the expectations are formed by a number of factors. It's not just the host description. It's not just the host photos. Although I feel that those are the most impactful and they're the most controllable. So those are the ones as we as hosts, if we want to get good reviews, if we want to match their expectations to what we're actually giving them, but that, that's where we can do it. But some of the other factors include other people's reviews, right? So some reviews we have to be careful because if somebody's overselling my place on my behalf, well, they could be setting the wrong expectation for, for, for a new guest. You know, a friend's opinion of vacation rentals or Airbnb is going to set an expectation in somebody's head. Right. And price also sets an expectation. And, I, and what I do know is that most vacation rental owners, especially the ones that are listening to, to this podcast, they know that the keys to the you know, consistent, great income, the long term sustainable business is to have outstanding guest reviews and testimonials. And like I said before, raving fans. So setting you know, that accurate picture is the first step to achieve this. And if you don't set those accurate expectations, you're jeopardizing the success of your business. And, and I'll say it this way, it's not, it's not easy, but it'll be worth it. So that, that's my feeling on, on setting the you know, transparency. It's, it's the most important thing that we can do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at a, a, at a, at a property recently and the, the, the description said, you know, it had a view of the ocean. There weren't a lot of superlatives used, but there was definitely something that gave you the expectation that you were going to have a great view of the ocean. And in fact, the majority of the reviews said, you know, this, it's a keyhole. It's a keyhole view of the ocean. And, I, and it, just, it just struck me that it was just that one sentence that was giving this All owner a, a slew of less than stellar reviews because all yep. they had to do was say, you know, you, you could see the ocean through the trees or even not even mention it. I, th I think what I'm trying to say is it does make such a profound difference how accurate you are, how transparent you are in the description of the property. Just like you said, it could come down to one word. One word, somebody perceives that as something different than, than what we're trying to communicate. And in some scenarios, it's, they're having a really bad experience. I agree. Well, we see this in our properties up here in Ontario because all our properties are waterfront. You know, they are directly on the water. We, we manage around 200 of them. And, and we see the word beach 
coming up in in many, many inquiries. You know, we can't wait to get to the beach. And we have to go back and say, you know, we need to understand what your perception of the word beach is. Because Uh if you're looking for white sand and uh, sandcastles for the kids, this is not what we are offering. And, And we have to be very, very careful about our use of that, as you said, just, just needs to be one word, about a single word, beach, because it, it, it's like a description of snow. There are so many different words for snow and in the same way, so many different words for beach. So, yep. so yeah, really important to, to, to look at the text you're providing and, and making sure it is always accurate and, and thinking about how your readers are going to perceive that word because they're perceiving it from their own worldview and not mm-hmm. yours as the owner. So it's a bit, a bit like having to get into the, the shoes of that traveler, looking at that listing and understanding what they are, what they're reading between those lines. So one more thing that I think will be impactful, you know, you're saying you're providing the, um, you know, the, the links to the listing there. Um, we do put in something, and, and I kind of, I, I have in my mind, I haven't found the, the exact word for um, the definition of how we want to, term this, but if you look at the other things to note section, and I don't have the listing right in front of me, but you'll see in other things to note, we put a couple stars up and it says that, you know, we encourage all guests to read the entire listing before booking. And the term that I really had for this, it's kind of like a, it's like a pseudo disclaimer. It's a preference statement. That's what it is. It's like a pseudo disclaimer and it's a preference statement. So what it says there, it does a little bit of a, you know, a takeaway too. It says, look, you know, you know, we respect that um, different travelers have different preferences and, and different worldviews. That's totally okay. This place is not perfect. It's not for everybody. You know, it does have some quirks and it says some language to that effect. I know I'm not, I'm not hitting it directly. Uh, but we're just letting them know that it's totally cool if this place doesn't meet their expectations. But we're trying to set the framework up so that they can get as... An, uh, as much of an accurate look at what it will be like, because there is a lot of uncertainty that's in their head. Uh, it's not like going to a Marriott. You know what you're going to get when you go to a Marriott, uh, but you're going to a place that you haven't been before. So we're trying to reduce that amount of uncertainty up front and then also letting them know it's totally cool. Like, look, if this isn't the place for you, that's okay. There's tons of great places in the Outer Banks or San Diego. Um, you know, we encourage you to find one that, that meets your preferences and, and meets your worldview. Because that's going to be a better experience for everybody. Yes, indeed. And I, um, I, I'm just looking at it now. Uh, we love our OBX bungalow. It's a great house. Yet, like most homes, it's not perfect and not for everyone. We respect that folks have different preferences and worldviews. If you're looking for a unique place and local experience in a great beach town to relax, spend time with loved ones, chill out, cook, and rest your head after the beach, then the bungalow checks all the boxes. I love that. That it's, yeah, it's, it's a sort of disclaimer. I, I do hope people do read down to the to the end. Uh, I know that many don't, and I I've heard right. I've heard recently. I was on um, Evelyn Badia's the hosting journey uh, Facebook page the other day, and so and this this was a topic of discussion. And people are saying that they're actually using a keyword that they put right at the end of that that section, and they ask people to quote that keyword in their booking. So, oh, okay. So it will. Yeah, to, to ensure, yeah, that they've they went all the way through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that that was interesting. Um, listen, Mike, we've we're moving on really 
quickly here on our time. So there's a you know a couple of other sure. questions I just want to ask before we uh, before we run out of time. So managing a business like this is a challenge. We 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 all know this. I mean, I know from my my own experience of of working with owners as a rental management agency. They use us because it's challenging, and, and they're happy to pay anything between. I mean, for us, seventeen and twenty three percent of that income comes to us because we are taking those challenges away. So, what what do you find the most challenging part of managing your business? Yeah, I think what you're going to find in my response is that it's going to relate to kind of what you're talking about there um, and why people make that decision to give up some money to get back some of their uh, time. Uh, Matt Landau um, recently wrote a a blog post and he sent it to me and it was called When Small is Tall. And I really felt like he was talking to me in this post and and he talks about um, not losing your personality and your authenticity as you grow. So the biggest challenge that I face with Maria is it's not sacrifice. You know, we don't want to sacrifice our personality, our quality, our authenticity, you know, while growing. You know, when we started with one rental, managing guest communications and turnover cleanings was really easy, right? Now with four listings, uh, managing that simultaneously, it requires more time, but there's not more time in a week. There's still 168 hours in the week. So a long time ago, I was introduced to the idea of what's called a systems-dependent business. You know, there's a lot of businesses out there, for example, like you go to the deli and, and the deli owners making the sandwiches and ringing you up. That, that's a, that would, I would consider that a, a, a person-dependent business where they don't have systems in, in place. Um, and, and I got that training. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Michael Gerber, a business consultant, talks about the e-myth. And I was introduced to that concept you know, with uh, some other folks that I've done some training with. So we knew as we grew we would have to implement systems and technology to address some of the redundant minutiae of the business. And it can, it can really be a challenge to let go of some of these tasks. But if you're trying to grow, um, it's required. And, but growing also means that you're increasing your impact. So the better job that we can do in terms of creating the platform, um, the systems, the reproducible systems, so that we can get uh, the same result, the same outcome that we're getting right now, um, that, that, that's been been, been challenging. We don't want to lose that personality. We don't want to lose that quality. The, the moment you said about systems-dependent um, businesses and person-dependent businesses, and I thought, yeah, I need to include the e-myth on the show notes as well because it's, it, it, it's, it's not a huge read. If anybody is out there who has not read um, the e-myth revisited, then go there. and uh, Check out that book. It really is an excellent read for uh, for, for, those, for those people who are thinking of perhaps you know, going from the one property to begin to grow into, in, into owning um, numerous properties or even taking on board other people's properties too. So thanks, thanks for bringing that one up. There was a, another version of that published. It's the e-myth for the real estate investor. So there's the e-myth revisited and there's also the e-myth for the real estate investor, um, which was a, a sequel to that. And it was written, that was co-authored with a friend of mine named Than Merrill. Than Merrill is a personal friend of mine. He co-authored that with uh, Michael Gerber uh, because he was inspired and influenced by the regular myth. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that, 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 is, that is great. I will make sure I have that uh, that link link on there as well. So finally, uh, Michael, if you were to talk to someone today who wanted to start a similar business, give me three tips that would make a difference to them. Sure. Number one would just be investing in your business education, your financial education, and your your personal development. 
Um, Benjamin Franklin has a quote, talks about investing in your education, um, has the highest return on investment. And if you want to be a really good business person, right, you, we, we have to um, you know, just be a good person, right? And, and that's where personal development comes. And I think you get better with personal development. Uh, number two is be as resourceful as possible. You know, the best entrepreneurs, the best business people know it's not their resources that are the determining factors. It's their ability to be resourceful. So tuning in to success podcasts like this one's a good example of that. It's, it's leveraging other people's experience and, and being resourceful. And third, I would say is just know why you want to pursue this path. You know, whether it's a vacation rental business, you know, the, the ability to be a micro entrepreneur, a real estate investor, really understand your motivation at a deeper level, because that's what keeps you going when you bump into the inevitable roadblocks and tougher days. I, I'd, um, I'd love to say it's been all, all rainbows and butterflies, but there's been some tougher days. So, I mean, for me, when I first saw entrepreneurship and, re and real estate investing, um, I saw it as a path towards you know, lifestyle freedom, the ability to do what I want, when I want, where I want. And now as I've grown and I've matured, that's changed a little bit. Um, you know, f future time freedom, right? Having time freedom in the future means I can contribute more, give back and, and make more of an impact. So um, just really knowing why you want to do what you want to do. Thank you for that. That's great advice. And thank you so much for, for, for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you. Uh, I'm so pleased I reached out to you after your um, in, initial email. Uh, it, it just felt to me that you were somebody that would, that, that, that would, have the, uh, would have something to share with this audience. And you know, from our discussion, you, you've shared a huge amount. So thank you so much. Yeah, again, thank you for having me and um, you know, look forward to the, to the future if I can share some more things uh, with you guys. And uh, looking forward to a great rental year here. Looking forward to seeing you in May um, back in Toronto and um, you know, continuing to grow and, and learn and you know, meet some objectives and, and help some folks out along the way. That's wonderful, Mike. Thank you. Th th thanks again. And, uh, and we'll be talking soon. Okay, great. Have a great one. Bye-bye. That was great, Mike. Thank you so much for, for joining me. You, you delivered such great content on that interview. Uh, I was so interested to, to hear about your approach to vacation rental investment. Very pragmatic approach. Love the idea of, of, of the way you're doing it, which is different from many people and a lot of people I hear about who, who do come at it more from an emotional, uh, emo emotional standpoint than from, you know, they, they start out, they start out with an emotional standpoint and then move into the business side of it after they've, they've bought. I know I did this. I, I did this when I first bought in, uh, in Ontario. Um, and in fact, the first couple of purchases were done more from an emotional perspective than they were from you know really looking at it from an investment angle so I love this uh, I love this different approach I think as this business moves on and as it grows then more and more investors are needing to take that that sort of uh, that, that sort of approach to these to these purchases if you want to make them work and and it's interesting how how they have worked for for Michael and Maria so it will be fun to catch up with them both in Toronto in, uh, in May. They're both coming to the Vacation Rental Success Summit. So as I said at the beginning of this uh, episode, 
if you are still on the fence about coming to VRSS, people like Michael are the, you know, they're the sort of people you're going to meet. The people that have already been there, done it, um, and are increasing their their property portfolios. They're growing their businesses, but they're coming to the VRSS to learn more and also to share a lot of what they have learned already. So, so give it a try. Get in touch with me if you've got some questions. I have discount tickets available. If, uh, if you have not yet bought your ticket, get in touch with me, heather at cottageblogger.com and, um, and I will make sure that, um, that we can get you there. Okay. I've so enjoyed this conversation, this conversation with Michael. I'm, I've got a few more interviews lined up this week before I head off to Amsterdam and Berlin. And, uh, and I'll re- be reporting back from the European Vacation Rental Management Association conference uh, in a few weeks' time. So until then, or until next week, thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll be with you again soon. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.